Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Uncomfortable Conversations. As you know by now, I'm your host, Lisa Schmidt, success mentor for women who want to create an epic life or business on their own damn terms. So today, my guest is the amazing Lulua Kazum. I didn't say it with the in there, but anyway. So she's a Jewish multicultural educator, writer, healer, musician, and public relations manager. Her work has been featured in places like the New York Times, Rolling Stone, CNN, Marie Claire, BBC News. And if you didn't guess by that um, array of publications, she's a very, very diverse woman who believes in raw healing power. So welcome, Lulu. It's so great to have you here. Thank you. So I talked about the raw healing power. I want you to kind of expand on that. Something that was really great that you said was when we give ourselves the gift of raw self-expression, uncensored, unfiltered, with the freedom and wild abandon of a little child, an alchemy takes place. And I get the sense that that's sort of like the basis of like who you are at your core. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, so the way that I came up with the term raw healing power was because my basement flooded from the torrential Seattle rains. And I was right in the middle of um, moving in some new directions. So I have been, as you indicated, all over the map with my career, but I knew that there was a core unifying principle. And the thing is that as a public relations manager, this is what I help people do all day, every day, is find what is that core unifying principle for them. Um, I tend to attract people who have seven different hats, probably because I do too, so I really understand them. And conventional marketing wisdom teaches you to choose one thing and focus on that, and I don't believe in that. I think that when you dig deep, you find that there is some core drive that is manifesting maybe in these ways that on the surface look really different, but there's something that connects all those dots and the objective is to get to the heart of that, and then that's what you want to emphasize in your work. Now, the thing is that although I do that for my clients, it was really hard for me for myself to figure that out, and I was kind of mulling over it, and then my basement flooded, and I had to go through all of my boxes and get everything out and put it into plastic containers, and when I did, I came across three different photo shoots of me, and one of them was me standing and I, well, it was a really fun photo shoot. It, this was for my band and I was dressed in this um, raincoat that looked kind of like a medieval cloak. And I had a sword from a costume shop and um, we did this photo shoot in the middle of the forest and I was standing with my face towards the sky and just yelling like from my gut and it was freaking awesome. And so that spoke to me of raw and then I came across another photo shoot where there was this one picture in particular where my um, head was looking down, my face was very soft, and I had, you know, I have this brown curly thing of hair, and it was, it was falling gently on my cheek, and that said to me healing. And then I had a picture of me as a punk rocker chick, and that said to me power. And then I got it, and I realized that's really the core of who I am and of everything that I do. So each one individually has its own kind of vibe and its own manifestation. So raw is, we're not channeling. We're not like, I'm angry, so now I'm gonna go for a run and channel the energy into a run. It's I'm going into the backyard where I have a bottle smashing range and I'm gonna throw bottles and I'm gonna yell, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> 
at the top of my lungs and I'm going to get that shit out. And then what happens, because I actually did that and I have all kinds of stories about, you know, how the neighbors reacted and then how I educated them and then how they wanted to join me. So the thing is that when I did that and I wasn't doing it for a purpose, I wasn't doing it like so that I will then be happy. It was like, I'm feeling pissed. I'm in the backyard. I'm going to smash some glass. I'm going to yell like a crazy woman. And what happened was one or two minutes into it, I would be just giggling like a little girl. I was so happy. Everything, all the yucky stuff was out. And then I was just filled with this pure bliss and glee. So that's the raw. The raw is you are just really with it, whatever it is that's presenting itself. And you're being true to it. You're not trying to censor it. You're not trying to channel it. You're not trying to change it. You are just with it and you are expressing it and you are going with it. The next part, healing in and of itself is like when we put healing front and center, like when that's, again, what I call the central organizing principle, um, it, it's not a matter of I can't do this. It's a question of how can I do this? So I am going to heal. Healing is what I am doing. Therefore, my whole life is revolving around healing. And then what does my life become and what does it look like when that is the driving force of everything? And then the last one is power. So power, for example, is a young woman. I was sharing with somebody recently. I did a master class with um, another life coach and we were talking behind the scenes and I was sharing about how when I was in my early 20s, like she was talking about um, how people need to feel safe before they'll do things. And they said, you know, for me, I did things and the doing created the safety. So for example, I gave an example where um, I was something like 22 years old and I got this uh, recommendation from a government official for the work that I was doing. It was you know, very prestigious and very like amazing because it's like this organization that I had started and, and it was really out there and I was doing stuff no one else was doing. And then to get some mainstream recognition was phenomenal. And then a representative from this organization um, came to the United States and we met and then he made a pass at me. And first of all, he was a creepy old guy. So that just, you know, <laughs> that just made it worse. You know, he's like 40 years older than me. And then it was also extremely confusing and distressing to me because on the one hand, here's this tremendous honor that I'm this young person and my work is being recognized and honored. And on the other hand, and he taints it that way. Exactly. And then I'm yeah. like, what the fuck do I do with that? And, and so I ended up writing him two letters. Letter number one was, thank you so much for meeting with me. And it was an honor and a pleasure, blah, blah, blah. And the other was, who the fuck do you think you are? You do not talk to women like that. You know what I mean? And I ended up getting an apology from him. And I think, uh, you know, a lot of, women in particular, young women even more so, um, are afraid of speaking up and taking our space and being powerful. And for very good reason, there's a lot of backlash. And the thing is that we need to be powerful regardless. We need to be powerful no matter what it is that we're risking, no matter what it is that we're losing. Um, for me, the driving forces of my life are integrity, truth, freedom, you know, these are truly the core principles of my life. They are more important to me than anything else. And so that's what drives all of my choices. So I have done things when I've been absolutely terrified and I've still done them anyhow. So each of the elements of raw healing and power is a concept in and of itself with a whole world unto it. And they are together a concept. So raw healing power is a certain kind of a power. It's not a power over. 
It's not a domination. It's a kind of power that emanates from when we are in our true, authentic, raw, you know, naked soul selves. You know, it's interesting that you talk about this conversation that you had with this other coach and she mentions, you know, people needing to feel safe before they do something. So my, my reaction probably would have been much like yours where I would have been like, you know, well, yeah, there's safety in numbers. If you're a bunch of drunk college girls walking home from a party, um, you know, we all want to feel safe and insecure in a lot of ways, but I think safe is kind of like, to me, uh, you know, and it might seem odd to other people. It's kind of like a four letter word. Like I would, like, I wouldn't think anything of somebody saying like, fuck shit or damn. But if somebody said like, Ooh, this would be safe. I would be like, what the fuck is wrong with you? (laughs) (laughs) Because like, I get it. And I'm not saying like, you know, just jump off that building or jump off that bridge or, you know, but it's, but it's okay to sort of experiment with the things that sort of scare you shitless. And again, you know, I'm not saying like do things that are dangerous. You know, I'm not talking about swallowing knives or playing with guns. You know, I'm talking about, you know, a lot of women, like in the instance you, you know, gave about the letters, a lot of women would have only sent the first letter because there would be this, this fear of backlash. Like if I send the fuck you letter, does this fuck with my future? Could this guy like shit talk me to other people and ruin opportunities for me versus do I not give a shit if he, you know, has X, Y, or Z reaction, I'm going to stand up for myself. And the thing is you can also give a shit. So when I was in my early twenties, I was very cognizant of my passion for truth and not even just my twenties, but in my, in my teen years too. And, um, well, fuck it. Since I was a kid, I mean, I remember having a conversation with my dad and he was saying that when I was 11 years old, and he was saying this like it was a bad thing. When you were 11 years old, you said, everything is a lie. And I'm like, did I say that? That's fucking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Question everything. Yeah, because, you know, my family was really fucked up and I really wanted purity and I wanted truth and I wanted healing and I wanted wholeness. And um, and so that was amazing that, that I said that, especially because I grew up in a family where you were really shut down actively. If you had, you know, if you could, if you smiled and you said nice things, that's great. But if you had any critique, which critique is actually love, it's yeah. like you love something and you care about it and you're so passionate about it and you want it to be well, you want it to be healthy, you want it to be strong. And in order for it to be that, you have to speak truth. And, you know, so when my dad was saying, when I was 11, I said that I, you know, I freaking patted myself on the back. I'm like, go me. So wait, how the hell did we get here? I'm having an over 40 moment. What, what, <laughs> what are we talking about? We were talking about, you know, making that choice to sort of stand in your power or. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So or, I remember, I remember like, um, you know, like particular time, like I'm thinking I was standing on my front porch and I'm thinking, you know, you follow truth to its logical conclusion like you don't stop in the middle a lot of people stop in the middle a lot of people will follow the thread and then shit falls apart and it gets messy and it gets scary and they stop and you have to keep going if you stop in the middle you are in the worst place it is better to not start at all yeah or or follow through do not stop in the middle it's like you're you're like okay i'm going to clean my room so you pull everything out right now it's all on the floor that's not where you stop you know, you either leave your room sort of messy, but sort of clean, 
or you fucking clean it and you put shit back where it needs to go, you know, or in new places where it needs to go. You don't stop when everything is now piled on the floor. Well, the idea of unpacking the mess sounds really great and like spring cleaning or decluttering, you know, um, but that's the whole thing. Like the idea of it sounds really great to people and they know that there's a light at the end of the tunnel, but you're right. They get into that, that dis-ease of the actual like onslaught of it. Right. It's like taking all the tchotchkes away from a hoarder. They're like, no, 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 I need that. Right. Right. Well, and I think at that time, this is like people need to be very clear about what is the most important thing to them. And I was very clear I had a very strong voice, you know, even as a child, I had a very strong voice and I followed it. And there were times, I mean, understand, there were times my self-esteem was in the toilet and, and yet it's like I, there was something in there and I followed that thread and that was the most important thing to me. So the question is, what is the most important thing to you? And, and there were times when I would be at a crossroads, am I going to make this choice or that choice? And one choice was very socially approved and one choice was very not socially approved. And, you know, I was like, well, if I do this choice and everyone socially approves, how do I feel about myself? What do I think about myself? And I made a decision very early on that I cared more about me and more about my soul and more about what I thought about myself than about anybody else. Now, does that make it comfortable? Fuck no. That's why I like the name of your conversation that it's uncomfortable i have been uncomfortable for most of my life and it's been fucking fantastic i have had an extraordinary journey i have gone to places of ecstasy that other people haven't because as i've discovered you have to go through profound darkness to get to that place you have to be willing to risk everything and i have this phenomenal intern and when i was interviewing everybody all the candidates you know, they're all like, you know, 3.8 GPA, whatever. I mean, everyone's freaking like super smart, super over accomplished and everything. So I was looking for something that made them stand out. And at the end of my interview with her, I said, so do you have any questions for me? And she goes, well, since I may never see you again, how did you become fearless? And I was like, wow. Like, first of all, this woman has the, the lust for freedom. Yeah. You would not be asking that question if she didn't. I was like, she's got what I'm about and she's getting a second interview. But then I said to her, I never became fearless. I said, I'm terrified like 75% of the time. I said, but here's how I do it anyhow. And then I shared with her exactly what I would do. And, you know, it's, I, I didn't, I had not heard of the fake it until you make it thing. I mean, this is like back in the early nineties and, and the way that I, approached my life was I thought, okay, so I wouldn't know a boundary if it bit me in the ass. But if I was <laughs> if I was really skilled at setting boundaries, what would I do in this situation? And then I would it's like I was an actor. Mm. And then I would play the part of the woman who's really good at setting boundaries and I would do whatever the fuck she would do. Well then that actually became me. And the way I saw it, like the vision that I had was that I was a mountaineer and you know, they've got that like pickaxe thing on a rope and you throw the pickaxe way up high. So that's where I wanted to be, but I wasn't, I threw the mental visual pickaxe up there and then I hoisted myself up. It was a lot of work, you know, and I really seriously was terrified most of the time, but I did it. And I think that that's what distinguishes me. Like I've been through a lot of shit in my life. I've had a lot of trauma 
that I've come through and healed from. And, you know, when you were asking me about a quote that, that kind of symbolizes who I am, it's that when you get shit, you know, you turn it into fertilizer and you grow breathtaking flowers. So everything that I Seriously, one of the best quotes I've ever gotten. And for, um, for anybody that doesn't know what she's referring to when I, um, it's the quote that goes on every image for every episode. And because I want the cover art for each episode to represent really like who you are, you know, as a person, it has, you know, that's why you don't, I, a lot of people will use their own image on episode cover art. Mine goes on the podcast cover art, but the episodes really are about the people that I'm speaking to, like right. you can go to my website and see my fucking picture or on Twitter or Facebook or whatever. You don't, you know what I mean? Like I want to put the emphasis there cause I don't, I don't really need it. Right. Um, but I love that. It was seriously one of the best quotes Thank ever you. because you know, people will say like, you know, when life hands you lemons, make lemonade and it sounds very cliche and you know, you could probably say that, you know, a lot of things sound cliche, but to hear you speak about, you know, how you actually do it. And when you use the metaphor of, you know, throwing the pickaxe up, um, it's really kind of talking about like, you know, some, what some people would call like an upper limit or a glass ceiling or a box that you've sort of put yourself into and, and, and fearless, you know, um, gosh, you know, fearless really, is one of those words that I think is misunderstood. And I, I think sometimes, you know, people focus on the fear part of fearless and they don't really understand that most people that appear fearless that are, you know, they're still scared sometimes. Yeah. You know, not everybody walks through life with, you know, zero feeling about anything that they're doing. You know, that's just part of being human. Emotion is built into us. I care what people think about me. I would love people to love me, but it's more important to me that I love myself than that someone else does. So there are plenty yep, yep. of people who think I am stark raving mad and I'm okay with that. Would I prefer that they think I'm like amazing? Of course I would. Who doesn't want to be loved and adored? But the thing is that if it requires other people literally hating me, I mean, I once in like the early 2000s, I came across two websites dedicated to hating me. Right. Like the whole freaking websites were like hating Lula Hazum. And I burst into tears and I called a friend of mine and she's like, oh my God, that's awesome. I know, like, right? What do you mean? <laughs> and she goes, she goes, because that means you're so relevant and you're making people think and you're making them uncomfortable, which means you're making them question their assumptions in life and this is their lashing out. And she's like, there are people who like try to get haters, you know? And then I was like really psyched about it. But I mean, that, that felt really shocking because to come across not one, but two websites that are devoted to hating you is pretty shocking. But you know, I, I would have had the same reaction. I'd have been like, that's awesome. Let's read it. Well, there you go. So you and I are obviously meant to be friends. So, but the thing is that, you know, that anecdote aside, it was like, you know, I knew that there are people who hated me, who thought I was completely nuts. I mean, I was kicked out of my family. You know, like there's, there, there have been so many consequences. I have been profoundly, excruciatingly lonely at times in my life. And that did not stop me. Did it hurt? Yes. Did well, I? How could it not? Well, yeah, but the thing is that there was something more important to me. And that's the thing is that that's what I coach people on is what is the most important thing to you? What is your value? You know, I recently was dating someone and it 
didn't work out. And a core reason why it didn't work out is this is someone whose soul is like rambunctious and wild and, and beautiful and powerful and really like not anything like society teaches people to be, but he chose throughout his life to quote unquote play it safe. That's his language that, you know, he dresses like a fuddy duddy and presents very conservatively and it's completely opposite of who he is. Now he's built his life making these choices, right? Mm. And to me, it's really sad because he has lost his ability to express his soul and to have his soul seen. And so when he would say, you know, when I'd ask, well, why did you do this and why did you do that? Because it's safe. Is it really safe? It's like you're, you're choosing to hang around the people who are not who you are and you're choosing to dress for the people who are not who you are and you're choosing to act for the people who are not who you are. To me, that is the most dangerous thing in the world is that you are endangering your soul. And that you are endangering, like, to me, it's like, I did not come here to this planet for other people. I came here. And no one did. And, you know, that is the really interesting part of this, you know, (laughs) largely human drama that, you know, I see, you know, it's weird because, you know, people that do what we do for a living, we have this really unique ability that, you know, probably within minutes of meeting somebody, you know, you hear what they're really saying you know, you see so much deeper than they're even letting on. And it's just this, you know, I think if you're, if you're, if you're here to be a healer, a helper, however you want to look at that, I just think that that's innately within you. And then the people that are on the flip side of that, the people that want to play it safe, that are often seeking direction or permission is probably a better word to not play it so safe all the time. It's such a foreign concept. And then they don't even see that, that like putting on the cardigan because everybody else in the group is wearing cardigans is very dangerous and that it pigeonholes you into like, you know, I'm this guy and this is what I have. This is what I eat for breakfast. This is the car that I drive. This is the, you know, the zip code I can live in. These are the types of friends I can have. These are the types of fun I can have. And, you know, who's to say you don't wake up at your, in your life at 70 and completely regret every minute of that. Yeah. And I have to also say that, you know, there's a part of me, so I'm very much the activist, the healer, the transformer, and I always want people to understand and to grasp. And so for me, it was like, I was always seeking to educate people so that then they would understand what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. And they would join me. And, you know, I have this vision of everybody dancing in ecstasy in the streets. And that's really like, you know, when people talk about life purpose, um, that's what I feel like. I, I am here to exalt in the creator and to invite and, you know, create space for other people to exalt with me and to celebrate our glory literally really not just words that's really my heart's passion and you know so so for a lot of time i i would have this yearning and longing of wanting people to understand and creating this space but then i started to realize you know what doing it when it's socially unacceptable is actually kind of thrilling and and when it's when it becomes socially acceptable it kind of becomes boring yeah oh my gosh I feel the same way yeah and and, and there's there's something about you know it's kind of like now everybody's like well everybody I mean I'm living in the the blue area you know the Pacific Northwest but now everybody's like you know gay rights gay rights gay rights and I I'm very cynical about it I'm like how many of you would have been saying that in 1950 
Yeah. Like, you're saying it because everybody's saying it now. Now it's cool. But, but the real people with the real passion who are really looking and really thinking, they're the ones who are going to say this shit when it is not cool, when they are attacked for it. That's when you know who you are. So there's something about going against the grain, not to go against the grain, not to be a rebel, but that you are actually thinking for yourself and you are willing to stand up and speak out no matter what the circumstances. And I remember in my early 20s, you know, my therapist kept trying to say, you don't have to be 100% all the time. And I said, yes, I fucking do. And not only that, but that I wanted to be, you know, super powerful, outspoken, taking up my space, asserting my power when I was in my early 20s as a young woman, specifically because then I didn't have any shit handed to me on a platform. It's not like people respected me because of my age or people respected me because I was a man or people respected me because of a position or a title or a school or whatever. I wanted it to be raw. I wanted to step out on my own, purely on my soul level and to be so strong and to cultivate that because it's something that I had to work on. It's something that I had to always go into the fire and challenge myself and choose the path of truth and integrity and freedom when it was so much rockier than the path of following everyone else. And it's through that lust for that truth and integrity and purity and wholeness and soul, you know, like soul manifestation that I became able to do it and that it stopped being hard and that it stopped being frightening. It's interesting when I was in my early twenties also, I was about 22 and maybe 23 and a friend of mine that I had met in a women's self-defense class said to me, you know, Lula, most people just want to skim the surface. They just want it to be easy. And that actually shocked me. I actually did not know that. <laughs> You're like, what? Yeah, no, seriously. Like, Who the hell thinks like that? Yeah, to me, it was like everyone wants the healing and the wholeness and the freedom, and we will all do whatever it takes to make that happen. And that's why every single time that, you know, there was some situation, I was the one who was speaking up. And, you know, not coincidentally, I was voted class troublemaker in high school because I was always speaking up. And it was, it was really fascinating to me and very sad to me. I realized over time, you know, I, I resisted what she was saying. I'm like, it's impossible. No, you know, and I realized over time that it's actually true that I think probably most people do not want to make waves. Now, what the fuck does that say? That says so, that they would, they would rather sacrifice their soul. Well, and when you're saying that, you also, you know, just to backtrack, you know, what that psychiatrist or psychologist, I'm not sure which that you, you know, told you basically like, you know, hey, you don't have to be 100% all the time. That's a medical professional telling you to censor yourself, right? So that there's a lot of that that still goes on that has went on for many, many years. And that is them talking about their own shit or what a larger societal view is, you know, like the collectives shit, right? It's not you. It's about them. Right. So and it's a, that's what happens is you, people end up getting herded into this we mentality of like, People aren't going to like you if you say this. People are going to think that, that it's really weird or you're going to make people uncomfortable if you do this or say that. And, you know, it's a good thing to have the people that don't give a fuck about the way they think. Because, you know, I mean, geez, shit. I mean, how many times in my life has somebody said, like, you know, to me, like, you're crazy or I can't believe you just said that. And I'm like, why? 
you know, or, you know, they're like, wow, that was like, so like blunt or, you know, very brutally honest or, you know, and I'm like, well, no one's going to say it. So I'm just going to go ahead and say it because I'm not, I just can't fucking listen to the bullshit that's happening in this situation or that's coming out of someone's mouth. You know, um, I just, I can't, I can't keep it in anymore. You know, so, and I think that there are more and more people sort of, you know, that's coming to the surface for them, you know, as time goes by and as it becomes more, I guess, socially acceptable to like, you know, actually say what you fucking think. Um, Or maybe it's just that there's a lot of people that don't, you know, give a shit anymore. I don't know, but you know, I'm proud to be one of those people. I'm proud to talk to people like you who are one of those people. I just wish more people would be like that. Right. Right. Well, you know, this is something you couldn't know without knowing my therapist, but I think (laughs) she was coming from was that I am very demanding on myself. And I think she was trying to be like, you know, you don't, you don't have to do it a hundred percent of the time. But to me, and I still back up what I was saying to me at that time, I did that it, it was like, it was like rising to the challenge. It was like, I will be pure 24 seven. Now that is incredibly demanding. But the thing is that, how do I see this? I, I'm not even sure. And here I am a writer. I'm not even sure how to express it. And I feel like I'd have to take a very long pause of introspection, which would not be appropriate for this. <laughs> in order, <laughs> you know, it was, it was something about, you know, here's what's coming up. It's kind of like a sideways way of addressing this, but this is what's coming up. So I'm going to go with it. I made a choice in high school, you know, when everybody's being pressured to drink and smoke and do drugs and stuff, I chose not to. And the reason I chose not to was I thought, okay, well, alcohol tastes like shit. The only reason I would drink is to be socially uninhibited. But here's the thing. If I am not socially uninhibited naturally, I want to be aware of that because Mm. being aware of that then gives me the opportunity to take action to get myself to the point that I am socially inhibited. Now, and that actually proved to be true. In college, I hung around with all the drunks and alcoholics because it took people, you know, inebriated and shit to get to my level of high naturally. And I got to that because I kept myself sober and I allowed myself to be totally wild and free and alive without the use of chemicals. And I think that if I used the chemicals, that would have created a crutch that would have compromised the power of my soul to be able to get to that on my own. So there was something about that going back to the therapy. That's uh, pretty self-aware for a teenager. Well, thanks. So I think that there was something about that, like like my my um, devotion to purity, that there was something about that, 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 that it was in that devotion and in that insistence of being pure all the time that I, you know, I've heard this phrase a lot recently, so I'm going to use it, that I was flexing that muscle and that muscle was becoming stronger and stronger and stronger. Now, fast forward about, you know, 10 or 15 years, I had another therapist who was like, you know, you can do things at 70%. It doesn't have to be a hundred percent. Now at that point in my life, I thought, you know what? I like that because what what was going on in my life at that time was when I couldn't do something 100%, I was dealing with a lot of health issues then. I had debilitating chronic pain, stuff like that. When I couldn't do stuff 100%, I didn't want to do it. 
And what she did was open a door for me where I was like, you know what? If I allow myself to do it even at 20%, even just a little bit, then I will go into that room. And once I'm in that room, chances are I'll actually knock it out 100%. But I don't have to go for that. And, and giving myself permission to do 70% gave myself permission to go into a space not being able to do 100%. And ultimately, I developed this method, Dancing with Pain, when I had debilitating chronic pain, I reconceptualized dance. So when I was in my 20s and prior to any injury, you know, I was this crazy clubbing chick. I mean, I would party on that. I would in party. And again, I didn't drink, smoke, or do drugs. It was I would dance, 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 dance. I was like the freaking Energizer Bunny. And I would, you know, go to a club all night, and then I'd go to the after-hours club and the after-hours after hours club, and I'd end up dancing until like 7 o'clock in the morning. This is in New York City. They have amazing clubs. And... Um, and then when I had debilitating chronic pain, I stopped dancing because that's what dance meant to me and I couldn't do that. But then I had this epiphany and I reconceptualized dance so that it was basically what on my body doesn't hurt and how can I move it artistically to music so that I'm dancing. So it wasn't 100%. It was like 5%. In the beginning, all I could do was dance with my arms. But then when I inhabited that space, the pain edges moved out farther and farther. And, you know, long story short, fast forward, you know, years later, I'm biking like 30 miles at a shot, no pain. I'm hiking, I'm swimming, I'm kayaking. You know, I have a full-on active life and I no longer have chronic pain. And so the thing is that allowing ourselves to do even a morsel um, gives us permission to step into a room that we might not step into otherwise. So I think these are, you know... I think that there are things that exist at the same time that may even be contradictions. And, it, and it's just a matter of where are you in your journey and what exercise do you need to be doing? And exercise, I mean, kind of like mental, emotional, spiritual. Mm -hmm. Do you need to be doing at that time to move you into, you know, the most healing space for you at that moment? Well, and, you know, the concept of, you know, being 100% in versus 5 or 70% in, you know, that's, again, that's, that's a societal thing that's sort of drilled into us. You know, people always say like, you know, give me your 110% or, you know, are you all in? You know, people throw out these equations of like, you know, be all in or be all out. So yeah, that's great in theory. However, you know, if there's a day where you're like, I'm going to knock it out of the park today, but you know, let's say as an online entrepreneur, all you did that day was get out a few tweets or maybe write a blog post. Maybe you didn't tick, you know, everything off of your list, but you took some action and there's, there's should be some satisfaction in that. Yeah. And as long as what you're doing is, is contributing to the end goal, the bigger picture. And sometimes maybe not even, maybe sometimes it is just, you know, something to just kind of like, you know, work the bugs out. But I think people look at the, 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 the not done part of it, the I didn't do this part of it, or, you know, I could have done more part of it, instead of looking at what the actual, like, accomplished part of it is. Right, right. And I think, again, it's contextual. It's contextual in terms of who people are. It's contextual of what their history is. It's contextual of where they're going, what they need, what they want to practice, what they want to invoke. So for me, when I was in the 100% time, that was really important to me. It was important to me that I was completely devoted to myself. And again, I came from a really fucked up family with, with you know, all kinds of 
erosion, like, like attempts to basically crush my soul. And so it was, you know, when I was a hundred percent devoted and I, I brought that to everything and everyone that I confronted people and I risked everything. And that was, you know, my book of songs, which I have available as a freebie when people sign up for my newsletter, it's called explosion in the darkness. And that's what that was. That's what that time was, was, you know, it, it's like, there's this darkness surrounding you and you go and you explode out of that. And you are just this, just powerhouse of light. And, and that then becomes who you are and, and defines the rest of your life and sets your course. It's like that same friend of mine who informed me that most people just want to skim the surface. She said to me during, um, you know, this time that I, I confronted a situation that most people wouldn't have. She said, you know, I guess it's because you're always practicing, like because you always speak up and you always say something and you're always, you know, pursuing truth, um, no matter what, that because you do that all the time, I guess it's that you're then able to do these big things that other people aren't able to do, aren't willing to step to the plate to do. And I think it's true when, when being authentic becomes who you are, when it's your commitment, it's your way of life, then it is who you are. And then you don't see the bigness or the scariness in certain situations that other people see. Like you see it as an obstacle, but you don't see it as insurmountable, right? Where other people would look at it and go, holy shit, I could never do that. I could never say that. I could never be in that position. You know, they, they see the failure before they see that if they just tried or took the step and it doesn't have to be on the same level that someone else is at. And that's a huge problem too, is comparing, you know, your ability to someone else's. We all have equal amount of soul driven ability. It just depends on, again, working that muscle and how you exercise it. That's an interesting observation because, um, you know, as a young woman, I was always, well, I have always been intervening when I see abuse or violence or something, I get involved. And there's people who are like, aren't you terrified? And also I wrote a book called Consequence Beyond Resisting Rape. And there was a period of a month where I started hitting men who were harassing me. And again, people are like, aren't you terrified? And in those moments, what's going on is that I am living my truth and I am following through on my principle and that is, again, I come back to this thing of the central organizing principle, what is driving you? And so when I see injustice, I go and I confront the injustice. And, and that is what is before me at that time. And so I think, you know, and I started becoming aware over the years that other people are maybe like looking, I mean, I guess there is a way that I was fearless in the sense that I wouldn't be like, oh my God, what if he this? I was like, well, what if I this? You know, one of my favorite poems, which I wish I could find, I went into, um, into this area and I was living in Berkeley, California, and there's this area in the marina and it's very abandoned, like at midnight. And there's this area with all these trees and stuff. And I was walking through the trees. And again, was I afraid? Yes, I was afraid, but I was doing it anyhow. Cause I was like, I will not be a prisoner. Like I will not as a woman, be a prisoner in this world and, you know, sit at home because it's after midnight. And I wrote this poem and I can't remember most of it, but, but it ends with, I am the voice in the shadows this time. So it's like, who said that you shouldn't be afraid of me? 
who said that? Yeah, I'm, right. <laughs> yeah, who said that I'm not the one that you have to be scared of? You know, I was walking and, and I did this all the time. I would walk around at like three o'clock in the morning or go biking or something. And again, was I scared? Yes. Did I do it anyhow? Yes. Because I was like, these are my streets. I get to walk whenever the fuck I want. Now, I want to say, this is important for people to hear if they're going to hear that. I, I went and got my ass very trained in self-defense. And I think every girl, every woman should be trained in self-defense. I saw it as you know, equally important to paying the rent and having food. So I made it a priority and I, and I, and, you know, I found the money to, to make that happen. Um, so I just want to say that, that, that you do need to take care of business and you, know, you can't be stupid. Um, but then, you know, I, I, think went, it actually, I think something like that should actually be a regular part of what happens in schools. I think it's absolutely in yes. elementary school. I think it's, yeah. it, I think it's a wonderful, yeah. um, it mandatory. It, well, it's, I mean, in the perfect place to incorporate, it would be like physical education classes or, yeah. you know, um, but I mean, it should totally be yeah. incorporated in, oh, yeah. um, in curriculum. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'd absolutely. rather see, you know, something like that than you know a bullshit elective that somebody could use to skate by but whatever that's just my opinion no i i'm I'm very passionate about that i believe like starting in like preschool that there should be you know and boys are also like young boys also get attacked molested whatever and so i think that you know that would just change the world i think women's physical power you know and i'll speak again i'm acknowledging that violence happens to boys as well and to men as well but right now I'm going to focus on the violence against women because it is astronomical and entirely unacceptable. It is unacceptable that most women will not go walking around in the middle of the night. That is not okay. That is just not okay. But anyhow, so I was walking around, it was like one thirty in the morning or something like that. And I was at that point, I don't know, maybe a mile, a mile and a half away from my home. And, um, and I, I, past this house and there were these two guys outside and they were speaking in Hebrew and I'm fluent in Hebrew. So I started talking to them in Hebrew. And then the guy says to me also in Hebrew, he's like, you know, what are you doing out this late at night? And I'm like, what are you doing out this late at night? I'm like, what the fuck? Like that's such male entitlement to be yeah. like, oh, you shouldn't be outside in the middle. And I'm like, fuck you. <laughs> so Anyhow, I can't remember how we got started on all that, but, but the, oh yes, because fear people get, so the thing is that I think it's a thing of, I, I think this can apply to everything. So it's like, are people going to focus on, um, the problem or the social backlash or the, you know, or are they going to focus on them and their power and what they can do? You know, it's, it's like, where are you going to put your attention? And this is kind of the dancing with pain thing again, is that, Dancing with pain, the idea is I didn't fight pain. I wasn't looking at the pain. I just completely ignore the pain. I'm like, pain, you get my attention 24 hours a day. For the next hour, I'm ignoring your ass, and I'm going to look for the parts of my body that feel awesome, and I'm going to give them all my love and attention and fill them up with this. Well, you found a way to transmute that back to the joy that you knew that sort of fed your soul, right? Like the dance, the music whatever it is in that that fed your soul, you found a way to still make that happen. Right. But specifically, I did not engage the pain. And I think yeah. that, is, that, is, that is a skill, that is a practice that can be applied to everything. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share with you a story that was a transformational moment in my life. So I was visiting Israel. I can't remember how old I was. I, I, some early 20s, like, I don't know, 21, 22, something like that. And I was sitting in the courtyard of the Kotel, which is the Western Wall 
it's the last remaining wall of the Holy Temple from ancient Israel from thousands of years ago, and it's the holiest place for the Jewish people. And um, there's a lot of religious politics in Israel. It's basically controlled by the ultra-Orthodox. There's a whole lot I can say about that, but I'm not going to say it now. But the bottom line is that right now the vibe is very, very, very conservative, as it was back in, you know, 1990, 91, 92, when I was, you know, this, where this story took place. So I'm sitting there at the courtyard and was overcome by this desire to yell. And the yell was my prayer to God. I wanted to stand up and be like, <gasps> now, of course, that's going to be seen as stark raving mad. And, you know, the place has, you know, cops and soldiers and, you know, <laughs> About you know, to get arrested. Whole, yeah, and a whole <laughs> lot of ultra-Orthodox people and tourists from around the world. I mean, the place is packed, right? So it's like, you know, who the hell does that? And But I just felt my heart, my soul was calling me that this was my prayer to God, and I wanted to stand up, and I wanted to yell from my soul. And I thought to myself, okay, Lula, you could not do it, and nothing bad's going to happen. It's just going to be an ordinary day, like every day, or you can do it. And somehow I knew this. I said, you can do it. And your life is going to change. And this will become a pivotal moment that you can reference for the rest of your life. And so I reached deep inside and I got the courage and I stood up and just my whole being like a hundred percent raw, authentic. I was just like, and then what happened was in that moment, I crossed over the edge of socialization. I ended up walking through the streets of Jerusalem, yelling, singing, dancing, I like pass this woman who's like, she's crazy. And I'm like, I'm crazy alive. I am crazy about life. I'm walking down the street. These construction workers like whistled at me and I, I hungered down into like a, um, like a crouching position. I went, no, and they just froze. <laughs> and then I just kept, I just, something like I literally crossed over the edges of socialization and I no longer gave a fuck at all it was the most delicious liberating vibrantly alive alive moment i had had up to then and and i i it's i just i don't know how to express it it was just i was so alive and so connected to god and and that's where we all need to be and so that's where my total focus was on the life force in me the focus was not what are you know this person's looking at me what are they going to say when i who the fuck cares? So they all think I'm stark raving mad. I literally did not give a fuck. And imagine what would life be like if we walked through the world like that all the time. So, you know, later on, fast forward a number of years, I had a bottle smashing range in my backyard. Everyone thought I was completely insane. I totally want one of those now. I live in a condo and I can't have one. And the minute you started talking about it. I thought, where can I fucking build one of these things? Like where, who's got some space in their yard that they'll give me to come throw bottles around? Because I'm thinking to myself, like that would be fucking awesome. And great that you're asking that because asking that then opens the possibility. And honestly, we have libraries. We have places to go where people are totally quiet. That's great. Where the fuck yeah. do we go to be loud? Where the fuck? Everyone gets pissed. Other than a bar, right? Like, in, it, you know, that's what, like here in America, that's where we think, like, go get drunk, go to a concert. Yeah, stuff it down. Go somewhere stuff loud it. to be yes. loud. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. Well, you do, either you stuff it down or you channel it. Channel it into playing football. Channel it into blah, blah, blah. You know, what would happen? I think, honest to God, I think we wouldn't have wars anymore. If everybody had permission 
to just fucking yell. I mean, what is wrong with that? You're going down the street. I do this. I seriously do this through today. I'm going down the street. I just fucking yell because I feel like, <laughs> oh my God, I totally want to move to Seattle and hang out with you. Oh, you totally did. <laughs> you know, I'm like, it was really funny. One of the best compliments I ever got, it was raining and I put on my bikini and I was running through the streets, dancing and yelling and singing. And then, you know, some woman was approaching me and it turned out it was a friend of mine. She goes, Lula, I fucking knew that was you. She's like, <laughs> like nobody else would be doing that shit. <laughs> Do you know what I find interesting? It, something else that you had said when you filled out the application for the show was how you learned to be sneaky and sort of subversive, right? And getting yeah. your message to the mainstream. And yeah. you referenced... Um, Basically, that you convinced the editor-in-chief of L Girl magazine just for one issue to feature a section for somebody whose story you thought was, like, absolutely amazeballs, really didn't fit their format, but, like, you knew this story had to be told. Yeah. You convinced her to put it in. How did, you, how did that go? Well, um, I was writing for L Girl pretty regularly then. I, like, teen magazines were kind of my uh, bread and butter, if you will. and so there was this girl, um, God, how did I encounter her? I can't remember. I was, so I segued from being a Jewish multicultural educator to writing about Jewish multiculturalism. I was living in Israel at the time and I was very hooked into the whole activist community. And a friend of mine who's an activist in the Ethiopian community told me about, oh, I know what happened. An editor at 17 called me and said that they were looking for badass girls. And so I called a friend of mine who's in the Ethiopian community. And it was really important to me because when you see or hear anything about Jews, it's always white, like Central Eastern European Jews. And so it's really important to me to get, you know, indigenous Middle Eastern, North African Jews, Jews from Ethiopia, Jews from China, Jews from, you know, the places that people are like, what, there are Jews there? And it's actually, yeah, we were there thousands. I of didn't years. even know that there was Koreans that were Baptist. Did you know that? I, I have no, I have no surprise that, I mean, I know. was shocked. I, there's um, a community not very far from me. I was like driving down the road one day and I was like Korean Baptist church. Like I would totally, I'm like, I thought they were all like Buddhists and Taoists and you know, it's like, but then again, that's just kind of like that. I don't know. Like I felt like such a sheep, like an idiot when I thought that, like, I, I'm like, well, yeah, that makes sense. There's Jews for Jesus. There's, I'm like, I felt, I mean, I did, you know, I mean. I, in that moment, I was like, well, holy shit. Well, yeah, I mean, shit's traveled the world. I mean, yeah. we're, so, we're so connected, and all of our attempts to divide are just such ridiculous bullshit. But anyhow, like, in the case of Jews, you know, we, we come from the Middle East. I mean, my, so my family's from yeah. Iraq. People are like, what? Jews in Iraq? And it's like, yeah, asshole, that's where we started 4,000 years ago. You know, so anyhow, but so any opportunity I had, I got, you know, black Jews, brown Jews, you know, from around the world, front and center. So, so there was this amazing girl. Um, basically, there was a situation at this one school in Israel where, um, I, it, you know, it's a long time ago, so I don't remember the details, but some, some like Ashkenazi, which is Central East European Jewish um, kid, said something really racist to this Ethiopian kid. And, you know, th there's a lot of that going on and the, the the youth from the community just got really angry and they wanted to go and vandalize this school so there's like this whole gaggle of you know kids from the ethiopian community who are going there going to vandalize the school and this one girl single-handedly stopped it and she's ethiopian 
And she said, look, if we do this, then we're coming down to their level. And what we need to do is we need to educate them and we need to, you know, they're, they're ignorant. They're coming from a place of ignorance. They never encountered us before. And what we need to do is find a way to touch their souls and their hearts and to welcome them into our community. And you know what I mean? She's just really mm. speaking peace. And, um, so anyhow, so I was like, oh, she's amazing. Well, 17 ended up going in another direction with the article. So, but then I knew about this girl and I was like, I got, I got to get her somewhere. And yeah. so I called, yeah, actually I, I didn't call. I was, I went on a trip to New York and when I was there, I met with my editor at Elgar. I'm like, look, I know you don't have a section for this. Cause I knew the magazine really well. I'm like, yeah. I know that there's nothing for this, but check her out. And I told the story. She's like, oh my God, she's amazing. I'm like, Right. And so that editor went and talked to the editor-in-chief, and they created a new page for this girl. Now, I was so pissed off. It ended up falling apart because, you know, I wrote the article, and then I was just waiting for a photo. And this girl, she was in the Army at the time, and she was trying to get permission from the Army to use her photo. And, you know, she hadn't figured out yet that the Israeli bureaucracy is a nightmare and you just fucking do whatever the fuck you want and don't get permission. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? and, and the army kept dragging. It's the easy army. to apologize later than the ask Exactly. <laughs> and, and the army, the bureaucracy is like a fucking nightmare and they kept dragging their feet. And I'm like, dude, the, the, the magazine is going to press. We need her photo now. And they fucked it up and the, the editor-in-chief ended up having to pull the article because we didn't have the fucking photo and I, oh my god I called and I, I just I oh my god I yelled at this <laughs> I yelled at this army representative I was so pissed off you know and it was I'm like you just fucked up a major educational opportunity I was like millions of people yeah learned about Ethiopian Jews if they don't even know that they exist you know you asshole you fucked this up anyhow but yes, you got to ask for what you want. You have to trust your own vision. And I, I fucking never play by the rules. I'm like, okay, rules, nice, interesting. Moving on. <laughs> you know? And I think part of that is- Well, I think there's a difference between, and, and this is where people like misunderstand people such as yourself and, and, and people like me. And this is how I feel about it anyways. I think of- I don't think of rules. I think of there's two different things. There's rules and there's decorum, right? Like I know how to conduct myself properly in certain situations, right? You know, I would never go out of my way to embarrass someone. Oh, for sure. To create a situation that um, would be not good for myself or for people around me. Like I wouldn't purposely put somebody in a bad position. That's decorum to me, like, right? Like, I have respect for other people. But on the other end of that, for me, like, when I think about rules, if somebody's like, okay, well, this is what I do, or okay, that's good for you. Like, that's your rule. I don't recognize that as a rule for myself. So you just go ahead and, and you do your rule, and I'm going to do mine. But at the same time, I'm not going to do anything to like harm you. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's a motivational speaker I came across just a few months ago. I, I'm, I'm terrible with names. I think his name's Rick Lewis. I'd have to look it up. But he has a phrase called intelligent misbehavior. I was like, oh my God, I love oh it. That's me. Yes, that's it. <laughs> and he has in two words, he has distinguished, discerned between someone who's just running around fucking shit up and someone who's running around looking like they're, you know, wrecking havoc, but what they're doing is they're bringing healing. So yeah. the, the thing is that it's like, um, you know, are you, 
just like I have a neighbor um, who loves fireworks and he likes to set them off at, you know, 1030 at night, one o'clock in the morning. He doesn't care. That's not fair to people who are sleeping. That's not really contributing to society in any way. But I think, you know, like to me, and I'm willing for people to be like, no, it's exactly the same thing. To me, having a bottle smashing range and smashing bottles during hours that are not quiet hours, you know what I mean? Like not doing exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. And, and doing it in, you know, within like two or three minutes, so you're not like doing it all day long. So that's all people here in their neighborhood. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like you, you are basically creating a space that doesn't exist and that should exist and that everyone can benefit from. You're also being mindful of other people's needs and boundaries and so forth. What I think needs to happen is that we need to have conversations. We need to have collective conversations. For example, just like we have a library, we have a place where people go and smash bottles and just yell their heads off for no particular reason. That well, that's, why, that's why you think like, that's why we have gun ranges. You just wouldn't carelessly shoot a gun right. know, throughout your neighborhood. There's a, right. there's a space for that, right? Like so that, you know, that there's backstops or, yeah. you know, yeah. walls and things you know, with your protective, you know, cover on your ears and whatnot. Like there's precaution that needs to be right. taken for something like that. Right. 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 And I think it's a balance. It's like, you know, so like I said, I like to yell in the street. I'm not going to yell under someone's window and I'm not going to yell when there's someone standing right next to me because I'm going to hurt their ears. Right. So it's like, you're mindful. You're like, I'm going to take right. care of I'm going to yell in the open space. I mean, fuck, we have sirens. We have police sirens, ambulances. We've got kids screaming at the playground, you know. So, you know, why is it that people are okay with those noises, but not just someone randomly yelling? You know, that says something about our society being emotionally shut down. That's not about not being considerate, right? But again, I'm going to be careful about where I'm yelling and, and not do someone to, to scare somebody. You know what I mean? It's just, it's about freedom of expression, but doing it in a way that's cognizant of other people and boundaries and things. It's funny when you talk about the mindfulness because before we started <laughs> recording, when we talked about um, our children being sort of like a mirror of the lessons that we need to learn or, or things that we need to work on, um, it's interesting because I find as a parent, you know, as I told you earlier, constantly trying to teach sort of that growth mindset and, and mindfulness and, um, you know, basically like I, and, and it's funny and, people think it's kind of crude. And I've told my son, even from a very young age, and he's only 10 now, like it's my job to make sure that he's not an asshole. Right. right? Um, and I use that exact term. Like you're not going to be an asshole. It's my job to make sure you're not an asshole. And to some parents that might seem a little bit harsh, but that is a word that I know will cut through the noise. Right. Like I can't say like, it's my job to make sure that you're going to be a really nice, beautiful human being. I think that's implied. Like you should just, you know, like you, you'll be around me your whole life and you'll get that. You'll see my example that, you know, what a good person is and, you know, what outreach should be and what charity should be and what mindfulness should be. But I need you to understand that at the basis of all of that, you can't be an asshole. <laughs> like just, that's it. That's like the bottom line. So every, every other lesson that comes after that really just comes back to the fact that be who you are, be what you want to be. Don't give a fuck what anybody else thinks. Just don't be an asshole. Right. Right. And I think, you know, I think there's another thing, you know, it's interesting. Like, like I told you before we started this recording, like I was so excited when I came across your site. I'm like, look, she uses the word fuck liberally all over her website. She's my soulmate. <laughs> 
like, you know, people have, people are like, my God, you have potty mouth, you know? And I'm like, yeah, it's like cardamom. It's like, you know, I don't know, curry pepper. It's, it's spice. It's, it's zest. It's juicing it up. And I think like when you're saying, don't be an asshole, it's also sassy. It's fun. It's to the point. It's got attitude. It's got bite. You know, and like, why are people afraid of bite? Why do people wear fucking gray? You know, like, why is that considered the norm? You know what I mean? Like, we're talking about- It's a neutral. That's why. Brown, black, gray. What the fuck? What the fuck? You know, but you see it it in everything. Neutral furniture, neutral colored carpeting, neutral colored clothing, you know, to create these like things that you can build around and- you know, do this for a pop of color, do this for this, you know what I mean? And, but your whole life can be a pop of color, right? You know, it doesn't have to be a throw pillow or the occasional, you know, brooch or scarf or whatever you're wearing. Your whole life can be that, you know? And I think some people just get it more innately than others. Some people come to it much later in life. Some people are just that way, you know, straight out the birth canal, you know, they come out with just that, you know, liberation and you know you can't even explain where it comes from right Right. but you know when you talk about like the website and and you know this whole concept really did come from you know going back to what we were talking about earlier about haters and it's funny because I still get email about an article that I wrote I mean it's almost two years old I just got one this week as a matter of fact from somebody and um you know I find that through that confrontation and and what that taught me was even more so that it's okay to say what you want to say and not really apologize for it. Oh, I love it. I love it when you're like, I will not apologize. And you're like flipping the bird. I'm like, that's (laughs) well, and here's the thing, you know, the, the, the article that caused all this stir was, um, it was about death. And I understand that it's a touchy subject for someone and people took, and it's still to this day, people take, um, issue with like one line from the whole article where I referenced um, in a moment of thought that I had said, you know, sometimes I think, would it have been easier had they died when I was younger? You know, would, would the memories be less? Would it be less hurtful? And people that write to me even now will say like, how dare you compare your grief to losing your parents as an adult to someone losing their parents as a child? And I'm like, well, first of all, you completely missed the fucking point. It was a cathartic article. I wasn't comparing my grief to yours. And so the majority of the email that I got was so great. And then there was that little three to 5% that was pissed off. I did end up writing up a, a follow-up article and it was basically was called grief is not a contest, right? Like you don't tell me how to grieve. I don't tell you how to grieve. And you know, for everybody that wants to sit out there in their righteousness, that is not at all what I fucking said. So there you go. And that's the end of it for me. Like, I'm not going to apologize for saying it. It's what I thought in the moment. And it was a feeling. It was a cathartic moment. And, you know, I don't know, look that word up if you don't know what it means. That's like, I was, I was more pissed off at the, you know, like, I don't think that everybody should have read it and instantly got me, but there were so many people that reached out to say like, holy shit, thank you for saying what, what I have felt, but could not put into words. And that is always and always will outweigh the, you know, a few hundred people that were offended. And I find it interesting that when people write, you know, it's like this huge diatribe on how uncaring and unfeeling I am and what an asshole I am. 
Um, and it's usually some sort of tirade about like, I went through this and I, and I, it's like, all I want to do is send back one email that goes, okay, I get it. You want somebody to hear you. Okay. I heard you. Do you feel better now? Yeah. You know, I mean, that's what I was thinking when you were talking is I think that so many people are so shut down and they don't allow themselves to self-express. They don't create a platform for their self-expression and then they jump on somebody else's. Yep. And you know, and I know that, I mean, if I was 10 years ago in my life, maybe 15, I probably would have been really upset about that. I would have been like calling Huffington Post and being like, take it down, take it down. Right. You know, I might have been there, but I was to the point where I was just like, well, whatever, like it, don't like it. I don't care. And I think that's where we need to go. I mean, it's interesting. In my early 20s, I was doing a lot of, you know, going to um, yoga and spiritual things and workshops, you know, lots of lots of opening, 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 exploring. And I saw that um, there was this recurring theme of they would teach you to open yourself and you know you you have all these belief systems and this and that and you have to let it go and you know and, and you're shut down because so and so did this when you were 10 and you have to let that go and i'm like you know this is fantastic in this retreat center but you're not acknowledging that all the shit that shut us down when we were seven is still out there in the world and just because we've done our healing doesn't mean that the world has done it. So we're still going to be encountering it. And I was like, none of these people offer tools for what happens when you walk outside the doors. Well, they don't teach you to rely on the new beliefs that you've created, right? Like they just basically say, and this is something I come across a lot too. Like when I talk to people, it's very, like I get the concept of it. Like acknowledge what it is, why it's probably not true, um, you know, why you initially believed it to begin with. However, if you don't create a belief or some sort of new pattern in its place, you're going to constantly refer to it because that's all you know. Well, also, I think that they, they didn't teach, they didn't acknowledge that all the shit that's out there is still out there. Yeah. I mean, all the, all the reasons that you, I, or someone else shut down when we were kids, all that shit is still there. Nothing's changed. But we have to change ourselves anyhow. We have to change our relationship to it. And part of like with you being like, fuck you, this is my article. Glad you got yourself heard by emailing me and my article stays. It's like, that's the thing is that we may not be able to change the whole world. And, you know, I, I honestly did believe in my early 20s, I had this feeling, this sensation that because I had done my healing, everyone else had or everyone else would. And I realized some people are really fucking entrenched and, and it's still like, you know, fast forward 30, 35 years. It's, it's like, there would be like they hold on yeah. to it. Yeah. yeah. It, because yeah. There, there is comfort in it. There's comfort in pain for a lot of people and there's comfort in that safety to them. Yeah. And it goes back to that thing that, that my friend had told me, you know, when I was 22 years old is she's like, Lula, so, you know, most people just want to skim the surface. And, and so the thing is that, we have to, and I think, you know, when we're healers and helpers, as you said, you know, I'll speak for myself. I always want to um, help people see another way. And especially if they're self-sabotaging or something, hey, there's this way. And that, but, but a lot of people are, are really invested in their suffering and, and they want to stay there. And so all I can do is create my life full of light and playfulness and, you know, and authenticity and all these things that are important to me and truth and wholeness. 
and invite the people who want to come and let the other people just bless them, you know? And that's why like my, my thing, like my new website, which I just launched a few weeks ago, it says, welcome to Lulua's playground, because this is my new model. I'm not trying to persuade you anymore. I'm not trying to like educate you. I'm not trying to guide you. I'm like, for those of you who are seekers and you want what I got and, and you want to live, you know, this kind of a life, come and join me. We're going to go dancing in the streets with drums and we're going to fucking move. <laughs> we'll be like, you know, let's do it. And, and everybody else, God bless you. You, know, you got to figure shit out on your own. If you want to come check out what I'm doing, I'm happy to share it with you, but I'm not, I'm not going to try to, you know, affect the change anymore. And, it, and it's actually where I am right now in my, in my life is I'm in a very personal place I used to be a public speaker, you know, an educator, and I, I went around with the power suit and the PowerPoint, and, you know, and I taught people. I totally could not picture you in a suit. Oh, I did. <laughs> I, had, I had pumps with the pointy shit going on. And you know, now I'm like, you know, I'll, I'll remove the toothpaste stain from my sweatshirt, but that's about as formal as I'm going to get. And it's like, I'm just sharing my experience. I'm just being real. I'm being raw and I'm inviting people to share their experience and we'll see where the conversation goes very much like what we're doing here, which I love. And, you know, and then people are just going to come to what they come to on their own timeline and they have their own journey. And so, you know, what you did with the article is you're like, this is me. This is my experience. This is what I'm sharing. You're going to touch the hearts of some people. Some people, they're going to get all pissed off, but that, that has nothing to do with you and you recognize that. And that's great. And I think when people can get to that place, you know, it's interesting that book I was mentioning earlier that I wrote consequence again, subtitled beyond resisting rape. Um, you know, nobody wanted to touch that shit. Not the feminist press. Nobody, nobody wanted to touch it because it's like women hitting men. What? So I self-published it. This was back in the early nineties and I'm uh, sorry, the late nineties. And my mom said, you know, cause I had so much anxiety when I was writing it. I'm like, you know, I'm literally, I was at the computer and typing. I'm like, Oh God, Lula, you've done it now. They're going to come for you with a straight jacket. But I had to write it because it was truth. And so I had to do it. You know, again, like I was referring to, regardless of the circumstances, you just risk it all and you speak your truth. And my mom said, you know, you're writing it for the women who are ready. You're writing it mm. for the people like you who are tired of harassment and they are ready for a new paradigm, you know? And it was really important for me to hear that from her was it's like- Especially it's, from your mom. I know, I know. It's like, you know, and, and she's been on her journey and, you know, we together have been on our journey. And so, you know, it was really fantastic. And and the thing is that it's like, you got to just, the noise is always going to be there. Yeah. There's always going to be someone calling you an asshole. Always someone saying that you're crazy. Always someone fucking hating your ass. And the question is, are you living your life for them? Or are you living your life for you? And if you are living it for you, what the fuck is it going to look like? And go and do that shit. That's awesome. I love that. Yay. So it makes me so excited when, to hear people talk like that because I think a lot of people pay service to those words but don't actually live that way. Right. And, um, you know, when you talk about like, the noise, and I think this is a really good point to end on, you know, I think when people think about noise, they think about, like, how do I get over the noise? Like, how am I louder than the noise? You know, how do I, how do I get myself heard? And, you know, personally, I don't believe it's about – raising your voice, you know, it's more so about, you know, speaking when you can interrupt the conversation, when you have something of value to say, saying it in a way that is very powerful, 
so that it does drown out that noise, but not in a, but not in that loud way where people think like you just have to be louder than what everybody else is saying. And that's kind of the person that you come across to me as like, you know, you're improving the argument. Maybe you're a little quirky in the way that you do it, but you're not like doing it in a shitty way. Right. Right. And you know, I think also it comes down to relationships and it comes down to, I really think at this point in my life, everything in the universe, everything in the world of our human experience comes down to how do you process trauma? And Mm. I think that there are people who will take trauma coming back to see it as shit, turn it into fertilizer, grow beautiful flowers. So this is like mothers against drunk driving. What is that about? Someone's child was killed by a drunk driver. And I get emotional just even saying this. And what did she do? She started an organization for mothers to join together and make that shit stop happening. Now, maybe it hasn't stopped entirely, but they have had a huge impact. That's what I'm talking about. You know, someone child, like experiencing child sexual abuse, like in my case, it happened to me. And I became a women's self-defense instructor and I wrote a book about fighting street harassment. And I inspired girls and women to be really, really strong and outspoken and, you know, take back the streets. Um, I experienced racism as a child, you know, within the Jewish community. A lot of people don't know there's Jew on Jew racism. And, you know, just like in the, it's a microcosm of the world. What did I do? I became a Jewish multicultural educator. I traveled around the country, educating educators, changing the paradigm, helping people understand that Jews are a diverse global people, helping them embrace the richness of our 4,000 year heritage from around the world. Everything in my life that was shitty that happened to me, I took that shit I grabbed it and I turned it around and released it into the universe in, you know, breathtaking colors. And that's, I think, what we have the power to do as human beings. So the question is, how do you process trauma? Do you run around feeling like a victim? Do you try to retaliate? Do you get revenge? Do you, like, what, what is your MO? And for me, anything fucked up that happens, I turn that into an opportunity for my own healing and for facilitating the healing of other people. And, you know, it was really cool, like, working with my intern because she reflects back to me a lot of who I am. And, you know, because I kind of do, 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 do. And then she'll kind of say in words things. And she's like, you know, everything in your life where you didn't get heard, where you didn't have space, you have now created that space and that voice for other people. And I felt so good when I heard her say that because I was like, yes, yes, you know, that, that we take this wisdom that we have from the journey and then we create something brilliant and beautiful out of it. And then we make sure that people that come after us don't have to go through what we went through. And there's an alchemy to that. And that alchemy is transformation. If people want to learn more about that transformation and how to have some powerful healing moments for themselves, where can they find you? Lulua.com. L-O-O-L-W-A.com. Probably a good thing you didn't put your last name in there too. There's all kinds you know, of right? <laughs> Well, I have to tell you, there was no competition for that domain name. Well, no. And actually, you know what? I, for my uh, coaching website, I had to put a the in front of my name because there's a Lisa Schmidt that's a realtor right. <laughs> in Indiana um, that already had that. And even for my, um, here's a funny story too. The general, there's an uncomfortable conversation. Somebody already owns the domain. And I found it and I was like, it's not available. I was like, shit. 
So of course I go straight to who that is. And I was like, who owns this fucking, um, oh my God, I've totally done that. What yeah. do they, what do they do? Cause they're not doing anything with the joint. Right. right. So the guys owned it for like four years. So I said, Hey, could you sell it to me? And he's like, well, I, I keep thinking I'm going to write this book. And you know, that was the whatever. And I said, okay, well, good luck writing your book. Um, and by the way, don't let it go to waste. Please do write your book. You know what I mean? Like you're paying all these fees to hold this domain, Just write the damn book already. Okay. It's been four years. Right. So I ended up, um, I had to buy uncomfortablepodcast.com. Right. So, which is fine at the end of the day, but yeah. You know, I think the way that I came across you was I was looking up some woman who does this mindful eating seminar and she has the same name as you and yours came up and I'm like, holy fuck. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is, that's how it's supposed to happen. So that's the right. way it happened. Right. So thank you so much for being here. This has been so much fun, very powerful. I hope that even if it's just one person that listens to this and decides to go scream in the street or, oh, hell yeah. or start their own glass, you know, throwing range, something, I'm going to find a way to create my own. Do it. I mean, <coughs> let's you. do it collectively. You know what I yeah. mean? For real. Everything starts with an idea. Everything starts with a bold willingness to believe that it's possible. And also I want to just let people know on my website, I have a store with online classes. So, um, you know, love people to join the live video conferences I have coming up or get the on demand classes. And the store is just going to grow and grow because I'm moving, you know, as I make this transition in my life, I'm moving more and more into the online sphere. So things about healing, things about music, things about PR, it's all going to be there. Awesome. And I love it that you wear so many hats and you wear them well. Thank you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here and for, thank you for inviting me. And for everyone else, we will uh, see you next week. Bye.